Super Bowl was last week. So congratulations to all you one day Philadelphia fans. Your, your long suffering is over. Is anyone a legitimate Eagles fan? Nice, congratulations to you for real. Uh, now I'm excited that football is over, not because I don't like football, I like football a lot. Um, I have to say that, going to USC, you guys would beat me up afterwards if I say I don't like football. But I legitimately do really like football. <clears throat> but when football is over, that means baseball is about to start. And I love baseball. I'm a little bitter about baseball right now because of what happened to the Dodgers. Um, yeah, uh, it's very sad. <laughs> Side story, I was actually at work during game seven. I had to stay late. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, so I had it on, on screen as I was checking my product. And um, our office is two levels. So I'm up in the loft and downstairs. There's a downstairs area where all the software people are. And another guy was staying down there, uh, also working, also watching the game. And he was neither a Dodgers nor an Astros fan, but he was a troll. And he had a feed that was five seconds faster than my feed upstairs. Yeah. So I would just hear from downstairs, yeah, go Astros. And I'd be like, oh, no. And I would see it on the screen, and it would be awful. So it's OK, though. We're going to win this year. So don't worry. Um, but I love baseball. And one of the big reasons I love baseball is I love the stats. I think they're so interesting. And of all the sports, I think baseball has the most interesting and complicated stats. And some of them we know, I mean, HR, home run. We all know what a home run is, where you hit it over the fence. Uh, BA, batting average, how many times you get a hit over how many times you're up at bat. And then you get, there's quite a few like weird stats. Does anyone know what LIPS is? LIPS. That is a baseball stat. What it stands for is late inning pressure situation. It is a measurement of after the seventh inning, if your team is down by three or four runs, not two, three or four, how you do. So all these crazy stats, and I find them very, very interesting. I, I, I love looking at stats. And so I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be interesting if we had Christian stats? Oh, oh, yeah. You know, instead of home runs, you would have GS, gospels shared. And then, of course, the, the grand slam of the gospel shared, the GSOA. The gospel shared on an airplane. <laughs> you know, you, you can't really be spiritual unless you've shared the gospel on an airplane. Um, you could have AQTL, your average quiet time length. I have a million of these. I can keep going. Um, but I'm going to stop there. Now, hopefully, you've heard by the sarcasm in my voice that this is a terrible, terrible idea to have Christian stats. Absolutely horrible. Do not leave here thinking that's good. You know, building the kingdom of God is not a competition. It is not about getting stats. But, you know, I think every single one of us has a little scoreboard on the back of our minds. And, you know, we, we think to ourselves, you know, what would it mean to be successful as a Christian? And we, we look to numbers. And it makes sense to us because a lot of things in life are like that. I mean, sports, again, the person who hits the most home runs is the best power hitter in baseball. The person who has the most money is successful in our eyes. And so it's really easy for us to focus on stats, focus on our results. I think some of us do it out of fear. We think, you know, is God mad at me? Like, if I'm not doing enough, is he just going to smack me over the head and say, what, what the heck are you doing? I think for others, we look at our results because it's impressive. And we like to brag and we like to say, oh, look what I've done. 
And I think all of us, too, we have a, a deep sense of wanting affirmation. I think we all want to be able to say, like, am I okay? Am I really, like, okay with what I'm doing? Is God really okay with all these things? Well, I'm going to tell you a story that is hopefully going to show you that this is a really pointless way to, to look at our lives as Christians and building the kingdom of God. So when I was a senior in college here at USC, I have a friend named Remington. Some of you know Remington. Uh, some of you don't. Uh, Remington is awesome, if you do know him. And uh, while, we, while we were seniors, we had a, a guy who was coming around challenged uh, named Francisco. And Remington absolutely loved Francisco. He shared with him all the time, just shared his life, always with Francisco, inviting him to dinners, doing everything possible to share the gospel with Francisco. And Francisco didn't become a Christian until one night. So Remington and I were sitting in Bonsalo, and, you know, Francisco was my friend. Yeah, Bonsalo. You all know Bonsalo, hopefully. I was there, too. Um, we were hanging out there. Now, Francisco was my friend, but all the heavy lifting of sharing, that was Remington. Um, and we're sitting there, and Francisco sends me a text. Now, I had told Francisco, you know, hey, if you ever want to learn guitar. Now, Francisco, if you, if you ever meet him, he loves music, loves to sing, and he was interested in guitar at the time. I was like, if you ever want to come over and jam or something, just let me know. So he texts me this Friday night. And I say, yeah, come on over. So Francisco comes, and Remington and I are talking to him. We're playing guitar. We're hanging out. Um, then Remington gets tired, and Remington goes to sleep. Then 10 minutes later, something happens. Francisco and I are playing guitar and hanging out, and I just ask a very innocent question. Like, Francisco, how, how are you enjoying Challenge this semester? And then he just opens up, and he just starts saying, oh, man, like, I've been loving Challenge and hearing about Jesus from you guys and just all this stuff about how awesome it was. And then he says, you know, I, I just can't wait till one day when I'm a Christian I can, you know, be a Christian with you guys. And it's like one of those times when God just, like, throws you a softball, and you're like, kind of like, whoa, like, what the heck is going on? And so I asked Francisco, well, is there anything keeping you from trusting Jesus right now? And he thinks, and he says, no. And he gets on his knees and becomes a Christian right then and there, while Remington is upstairs asleep. <laughs> Remember when the disciples fall asleep on Jesus in Gethsemane? So Remington did. <laughs> now, of course, I'm super excited about this, obviously. And so I text Remington, Francisco became a Christian. And I go to sleep as well. And I wake up in the morning, and there's Remington in the living room. And he's like, I can't believe I missed it. And he was, he was disappointed, but he got over because he was excited. And then we went on from there. Now, the question is, who was the more successful Christian? You know, was Remington just a failure? I don't think so. Was I just super spiritual? And, you know, I, obviously not. You see... There's a problem with focusing on our numbers, on our results as we're trying to build the kingdom of God. Really, we're taking credit for what God has done. I mean, I did not change Francisco's heart. Remington did not change Francisco's heart. You know, we had a part to play and God used us, but ultimately, the success belonged to God. He is the one who we have to give credit for, for Francisco and for all of us. So you see, Focusing on our results is not the right way to go. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. 
This is Paul writing, and he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, it's God doing it. Those results, those stats that we like to look at and think, that's because of me, they really are not because of us. It's God giving the growth. Now again, it says here, we have a role to play. We plant, we water, but ultimately, the result belongs to God. So if we're, we're going about focusing on our results, on what we think a successful Christian should be able to achieve, we're really setting ourselves up for, for failure. You know, if you don't reach that level, you get discouraged. If you're, quote unquote, more successful, have more results than someone else, you get pride. And it just doesn't work. So what should we be focusing on? What do the people, Paul and Apollos, myself and Remington, what do we all have in common? Faithfulness. You see, we were all faithful with the opportunities that God gave us. Remington, with all the chances he got to share, myself with my opportunity, Paul and Apollos planting and wandering, we were all faithful. We were all focused on doing what God had for us in the moment with the opportunity that he gave us. And that is what we need to be focused on, our faithfulness. Now, Jesus talks about faithfulness in Matthew chapter 25. And he's telling a parable, which starts in verse 14. And we're going to take a look at that. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The talents, as you can see in this passage, are money, resources. And this is a lot like our lives. God has given all of us different resources, different things that he wants us to use. And one day he's going to come and settle accounts with us. Now, these resources are a lot of different things. They're skills. Some people are skilled in leadership. You know, some in service. Some people are really intelligent. Some people are stronger than others. Skills. There's also, they can also be possessions. The money you have. Maybe if you have a car, that's a resource God has given you. Your position in life. Those are resources God has given you. You were born to a certain family, as a certain race, gender, all these things at a certain time in history, a certain place, these are resources that God has given you, and he wants you to use them. He wants you to produce with them. He wants you to build the kingdom of God like we talked about last week. But this brings up an interesting question, I think. You know, if God is in control of results, and if God is the one who gives us abilities, but he doesn't give us to them equally, some have more, some have less, wouldn't it seem unfair for God then to judge our success based on our results? He's essentially putting different people into a better position to be successful according to that. Now, that doesn't seem fair to us or right. Let's actually read on. Jesus continues this parable, and he says in verse 23, 
I think it's on the next slide. Oh, no, there it is. I'm sorry. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Oh, only two? The other guy made five. That's, that's a lot more. Does it not say that up there? Maybe I have the wrong translation. Um, his master said to him, oh, like two would be okay, but this other guy got five. I, I guess that's the bar you, you should have hit, so sorry. No, it doesn't, it doesn't say that either. It says faithful. See, it's the same word, and there's not even a footnote that says this is from the Greek meaning faithful, but not as faithful as the one preceding. No, no. It's the same exact word. It's actually the same exact verse. If you were to memorize this, you would get plus two on your verse memorized stats. And see, I look at this with my human mind and my human understanding of success, and I say, God, you are not very good at math. Two is less than five. You know, the, the other guy was better. That's not what God says. God says two is equal to five. See, both people did exactly what God wanted. I think this really reveals the heart of God. See, God is not comparing us to each other. Our success, quote-unquote, is not a contest. It's not a competition. We are not measured against someone else. But I don't think we believe this. I think all of us in our minds have someone, at least one person, who you compare yourself to. Who is it for you? Maybe it's a staff member, a parent, another family member, your life group leader, a friend. We all have these people that we compare ourselves to, and we think, I can never be like that. Or in the vice versa, people that we think we're better than because we have more results. You see, when we ask ourselves, am I succeeding? Am I building the kingdom of God as God wants me to? We look outwards. We look at other people and compare ourselves to them. God is saying, no, no, take a look at yourself. Are you doing the best that you can do with the potential that I have given you? Are you living up to that? Now, this doesn't mean we don't have to look at examples in our lives. It doesn't mean that other Christians can push us, that we should have more mature Christians in our lives encouraging us to do more. But what it is saying is God is not acting as we think he is. He is not comparing us to someone else. He's just looking at what he has given you. And we have to do the same. You see, when we focus on being successful, on producing more, on our results, you know, we're really missing the point of building the kingdom of God. The point is not to succeed, to be better. The point is to be faithful. Because you see, God gives the growth. God gives results. That's not for us to determine. All we can control is, are we being faithful with what God has given us? The only one in this story who was not successful in God's eyes is the person who digs a hole and does nothing with his talents. And I think we look at the story of the talents and we think, oh, but he only had one. He was, oh, poor guy. 
A talent is 20 years of wages. 20 years. So today that's, depending on your wages, millions of, millions of dollars. Can you imagine having millions of dollars and doing nothing with it? This guy wasn't just like, oh, poor, poor guy, he only had one talent. No, he was just lazy. He was not being faithful. And God does not call him a good and faithful servant. He says he's a wicked servant. So you see, we have to be faithful with what God has given us. So how do you do that? The first thing you need to do is you need to stop comparing. Stop. I mean, there's not much else to say on that. Look at Galatians 6, 4 through 5. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. You see, God, God isn't going to ask you, what did so-and-so do? What did this other person do? Why didn't you do that? No, no, God is going to ask you, what did you do? Did you bear your own load? Did you care, take care of what you had to do? I remember the first time that this made sense to me is this whole idea about comparing and how it doesn't make sense. Um, I was listening to a talk being given by a missionary, and then I thought to myself, I have to become a missionary. That's the only way for me to please God after hearing this. And then I thought to myself, I don't think I have the skills to be a missionary. I don't think God has even asked me to do that. So this is kind of me going off in a very different direction. Uh, this would not be me being faithful with the things that God has given me. Now, some people, God may have called to be a missionary. You see, we, we have to figure out what God has given us. What is God calling us to do with the resources, with the situations, with all the possessions we have? What is God calling us to do? Now, how do you do that? It's a huge question. There's so many options. Well, I think we have to be sober-minded. Uh, we have to have a sane estimation of our abilities. We have to be realistic with what God has given us. And, and we all struggle with this in, I think, different ways. I think some people, we greatly undersell our abilities. We can get timid. We think things like, there's no way that I can do that. Like, God has not given me the gifts to do that. I think some of us struggle in other ways. Some of us think we have way more talent than we do. You know, I think some were driven by fear. We're driven by fear that we're, I'm not okay. I need to be doing more. But you see, if you're driven by fear and you're comparing yourself to someone else and trying to do more than God designed you to do, you're just going to stretch yourself out too thin. And then you're not going to be faithful in anything. You're just going to be trying to do all these things to match up to someone in your mind and you're really going to fail at being faithful because you're stretched too thin. Again, other people think they have more talents just because they're prideful. Anyone like that? I think other people are just lazy, flat out lazy. You know, some people are acting like two talent people, but they're really five talent people. You know, you need to act like it. You have to develop a sane estimation. You have to develop a realistic view on the abilities and gifts that God has actually given you. And this is only going to come through prayer. Diligently seeking 
as best as you can what, what God has for you. So my advice would just come up with a list. By the end of this week, take some time in prayer and ask God to reveal to you what are the things that he has put into your life that he wants you to use. Um, they could be many things. Your classes should be on there. You know, God has put you in certain classes so that you can learn different skills and also reach out to the classmates around you. you know, I can't sit in your classes for you. That would not go very well. Try to reach out to a bunch of people. They'd kick me out. I mean, you can't come to my work and do that. They would kick you out of there. So you see, we all have positions like that. Your family is a great example of something that God has entrusted to you. You know, maybe your family doesn't believe, or maybe they do and they're just kind of wavering and not really doing anything with it. Well, God has given you that to, to do something with. And there, there are things on that list that will probably surprise you. When, when I did this list earlier, one thing that God put on my mind was my body. I have to be faithful with my body. God has given this as a resource, and I don't always take care of it. You know, I need to exercise a little more and eat a little better. But you see, there's so many things that we have in life. Again, we're very rich if we actually think about it. Some of us don't think that, but when you really take time and come up with a list, you are exceedingly rich. And you have to realize that and figure out what are the things that God has blessed you with? What are the things, the talents that God has given you, you personally, so that you can build the kingdom of God, that you can bear the load? Take a look at Luke 12:48b. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much more will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. You see, if you don't have a sane estimation, if you don't have a sober mind about the things that God has given you, you're going to miss stuff. You're, you're not going to be able to do all the things that God wants you to do because you're just not aware of what they are. And that comes to the last part. You have to rely on God for this. Um, first, for his grace. We're all going to mess up in this area. Um, we mess up every single day. We're unfaithful all the time. We lose our focus. So you have to rely that God is gracious and that God isn't going to say, oh, you messed up, get out of here. No, no, he's going to say, okay, that was a missed opportunity. How can we do better next time? And not only his grace do you have to rely on, you have to rely on his strength. And you have to believe that God will give you the strength to do everything that he has commanded you to do, everything that he is wanting you to be faithful with. Now, my favorite story about this concept comes from Exodus. And there are two characters, and I was not faithful enough to learn how to pronounce their names, but they're Ohalide and Bezalel. I don't know, something like that. Now, these two are tasked by God to build all of the relics, all of the items that are going to be used in the holy worship of God in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant, the altars, the garments that the priests would wear, the tables, a whole bunch of stuff. And God doesn't go up to them and say, hey, come up with some blueprints of what you think would look nice, and then I can pick. No, no. Before this part, there are five whole chapters dedicated to each item in excruciating detail, what it's supposed to look like, the size, the material, the design, every little bit of it God cared about. Now, could you imagine if you were in that position? Just imagine, I imagine a little a line of all the Israelites and God is handing out jobs. You know, farmer, 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 shepherd, farmer. And then he comes to you and he says, well, I have something better for you. I want you to build these objects. Okay, just think of the Ark of the Covenant. Like, 
this is where God's presence would be manifested on earth for this period of time. This would be the thing that after it was done building, if you touched it, you died. That is how amazing this ark was, and God has given it to you to build? That would be an extremely pressure-filled situation. <laughs> I would be trembling if God had asked me to do that. But look what God says to them after he commands them to build it. In Exodus 31, 6 and verse 11, he says, I have given to all able men ability that they may make all, everything that I have commanded you. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. You see, if we're relying on God, God will give us the strength to do everything that he wants us to do. We don't have to be afraid that, oh, I can't do this. There's no way. No, no, God has given you the strength. If God gave them the strength to build these objects, <laughs> God's going to give you the strength to do what you have to do. Again, look back at the story of myself in Remington. You know, we, we were not responsible for changing Francisco's heart. But God gave us the strength to share the opportunities, all that. But if we didn't rely on God, it wouldn't have happened. Again, no, one, no one's going to do this perfectly, so don't, don't expect that. But rely on God's grace when you fail, and then rely on his strength so that you can do what he has called you to do. And keep at it when you lose focus. Because again, like we talked about last week, you are going to lose focus. You are going to stop being faithful. But get back on track because it is of exceeding importance that you do. Because you see, we're not building the kingdom of God alone. We're actually on a team. Again, you look at my story. If Remington didn't do his part, we never would have gotten to that point where Francisco is ready. None of that happens. We're all on a team, and we all have a part to play. Now, Paul describes this concept in 1 Corinthians 12, and he describes it as the body of Christ. Now, before this passage that's up here right now, Paul details all the various gifts, all the spiritual gifts that God gives us, all the different things that he has given for his people to use. And then he mentions this. He says, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You see, God chose you for this team. It's not like in elementary school where you're the last pick and like, all right, I guess we'll pick him. No, no, God chose you. Not only that, God created you especially for this team, for the role that you are to play. He gave you all the abilities, all the experiences, your background, every single resource God has created and given to you specifically so that you can be faithful and that you can make your contribution to the body of Christ. You exist really because God wanted you to exist to be part of this. God doesn't need us to build the kingdom of God if we really think about it. Like, God could do it any way he wants, and yet he chooses us to 
be a part of this amazing undertaking. And all he asks us to do is to be faithful. The passage goes on in the next couple verses. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Have you ever thought about some of the parts of the body that we think are weak? You know, things that we don't really think about. I think if we took like a BuzzFeed quiz right now about which part of the body are you, you know, we'd all be like, I'm the heart. I'm the brain. You know, I'm the hands. I'm the eyes. We have all these great things that we want to be. And then how would you feel if you took the test and you got big toe? You'd be like, oh, I'm going to retake this test. We don't really think about the big toe. Most of us can't even see it right now. We cover it with socks and shoes. Now, I'm in Southern California, so I know some of you are wearing sandals, and you can see your big toe. But, you know, we don't really think about during our day how the big toe impacts our life. We don't really think it does. But did you know if you don't have a big toe, what would happen? You wouldn't even be able to balance. Like, I would be falling over right now. It'd be very hard for us to walk. The big toe has a critical function in our lives, and we don't even think about it. What you would think about is if it wasn't there. See what this verse says? The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. If you're sitting there right now thinking, faithfulness is not that important. Like, I can, I'll be fine if I miss it, you know, if I don't really focus on it, I'll be fine. If you're sitting there thinking that you don't have a part to play, you're wrong. You're actually vital, indispensable. We all need you. You see, in order to build the kingdom of God, God has gifted us each individually with our own experiences, talents, gifts, resources to play a specific part. And without that part, the rest kind of crumbles. We all need each other to be faithful because the whole body suffers if you aren't. So I challenge us tonight to live faithful lives. I challenge us not to go through life chasing after results. That's God's thing. God is going to take care of that. Instead, we need to be focused on just being faithful so that every night when we go to sleep, our head can hit that pillow knowing that we did exactly what God wanted, that we were faithful and played our part. You see, if you just focus on that, on what you need to do to build the kingdom of God, it's going to be built through God's grace and God's help. And then one day, you're going to be able to, just like the people in that story about the in the parable, you're going to hear from God himself, the creator of the entire universe, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think that is going to be an amazing moment for all of us if we just stay focused on being faithful. Sound good? Let's pray. God, thank you that you give us this opportunity to build your kingdom, to be a part of the amazing things that you're doing in this world. And God, we, we struggle to be faithful. We mess up a lot, and you know that. I don't have to tell you that. God, thank you for your grace in this, and thank you that even when we do mess up, you give us more and more chances. So I pray, God, that tonight we would start 
or get back to living faithful lives, that we would stop comparing ourselves to other people, but instead just look at what you have given before us, what you have given for us to do, God. And we really do need your help to do that, God. So I pray that on each and every one of our hearts here, you would just give us things where we've strayed, where you want us to become faithful again. God, and I pray that you would keep your promise that if we seek first your kingdom, that all these other things will be added to us, God, and that our work will not be in vain. So we love you, God, and we thank you again for your amazing opportunity that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.